Welcome to the Legal One podcast brought to you by Legal One, the leader in school law training. Legal One is part of the NJPSA and FEA family, so we're thrilled to be offering this podcast to you as a way to help you gain a greater understanding of critical legal issues. We want to provide you with convenient, easy access to essential information. Each episode is approximately 30 minutes or less, so it provides a timely way for you to get important information. In each episode, we're going to be reviewing crucial legal principles based on case law, statute, regulation, or other key guidance. We'll talk about why that issue matters today and how the law has evolved. We'll talk about key steps in working with parents and other important stakeholders to positively address the issues in question and know how to get a greater level of understanding of those issues. So let's get started, and thank you so much for joining us for the Legal One podcast. Welcome to the Legal One podcast. My name is David Nash. I'm the Director of Legal Education and National Outreach at the Foundation for Educational Administration, and I oversee the Legal One program. We are very excited to be offering this podcast series in partnership with Arthur J. Gallagher Risk Management Services. Uh, This series is focused on equity schools in the law. And our episode today is focused on addressing diversity in hiring, recruitment, and promotions for school staff. Uh, We could not have a better guest than Rebecca Gold. Uh, Rebecca has been an instrumental partner in so much of the work that we do at Legal One um, and brings a wealth of experience uh, to this conversation today, having spent a great deal of time as a human resource director in uh, several different school districts, um, in addition to all of the great work that Rebecca has done with us at Legal One. So Rebecca, thank you as always for being with us today. Thank you so much, Dave. Great to be here. So in this episode, we're going to be looking at issues of diversity, equity, um, and hiring of school staff. And as we begin that conversation, we do want to understand some important legal developments and the legal framework that schools need to work within as we address these issues. Uh, First, it's important to acknowledge a recent U.S. Supreme Court decision uh, that uh, school districts do need to understand um, and make sure that we are appropriately addressing. So the U.S. Supreme Court recently decided a case um, involving Harvard, and the University of North Carolina. And the case was not about staff hiring. It was about student admissions to colleges, but it has an impact on our discussion today. So in this case, the US Supreme Court looked at the admissions practices at Harvard and University of North Carolina. And the US Supreme Court said that the universities were both engaged in inappropriate practices in the way they were weighting um, the college admission process in order to promote diversity, and in particular to promote diversity linked to race. Um, So in light of this U.S. Supreme Court decision, it's clear that colleges and their admissions processes uh, need to take a different approach to promoting diversity um, in student um, admissions. And I think that same message is going to carry through when it comes to hiring practices for school districts, uh, because of course, school districts also wanna promote diversity in our staffing. Our research tells us how incredibly important it is for us to have diversity in our staffing so that students can see staff members who they can identify with 
Um, and it's incredibly important that we have that commitment to diversity. Under New Jersey law, there is a requirement for school districts to um, address issues of diversity in staff hiring. Every school district is required to have a comprehensive equity plan. And as part of that planning process to show the work that districts are doing to promote uh, diversity in hiring. Uh, but we know that we need to take a, a more subtle approach to addressing this issue. Um, we also know from a New Jersey case, um, a case called Taxman versus the Piscataway School District, uh, that we do have to look at creative ways to promote diversity. In the Taxman case, we actually had a situation where a school district was facing um, a need to reduce their staff. They had to make a budget cut. And they had to decide which staff member was going to be let go as part of that difficult uh, budget reduction decision. And in that case, the, the district had two staff members with equal tenure and seniority rights. They had both been hired the same day. They were both tenured. Uh, they were both good employees with good evaluations. And the district um, was struggling with how to make the decision about who to let go. And the district said one of their um, important priorities was promoting diversity in staffing. So the district decided to factor um, diversity into the decision about which staff member was going to be let go. Um, the staff member who was let go, of course, then challenged that decision, argued that the school district had made a decision that illegally placed um, too much weight on the issue of diversity in staffing. And ultimately, the case made its way to the Third Circuit Court of Appeals, and that court um, did say that the school district could not overtly make the uh, decision about who to let go uh, based on race. Um, so that uh, decision combined with this recent U.S. Supreme Court case really signal that we need to look at other ways that we can promote diversity in the hiring practices in school districts um, because the need is still there both as a legal requirement um, and an important best practice uh, for school districts. Um, as we think about this issue, there are some other legal requirements that we also need to be aware of. The state of New Jersey passed what was called the Equal Pay Act uh, recently that requires school districts while they're making hiring decisions to ensure that they're not in any way perpetuating prior discrimination. So, for example, uh, we have seen cases where districts are hiring um, two teachers. Um, they have two different openings, and district uh, might be looking at candidates coming from other districts. One of those candidates might be making a fairly high salary in their prior district. Uh, the other candidate might have a much lower salary. So the one who's coming from a district with a lower salary might be very happy to start on step one of the salary guide. Uh, the person who had a higher salary in their prior district might want to come to the new district, but only if they can start on step five of the salary guide, given their prior salary. This can raise a real problem under the Equal Pay Act, um, because if we have two equally qualified employees with the same level of experience, the same credentials, um, and we give one a higher salary simply because of their prior salary history, um, we may have a discrimination claim if uh, one candidate is a different gender or race or ethnicity or religion than the other candidate. So the Equal Pay Act requires school districts to engage in a 
thoughtful process at hiring to make sure that hiring decisions are based on qualifications. There are other reasons that a, a school district might be able to justify a higher salary. You know, and we certainly are seeing this in districts now in New Jersey. There might be a staffing shortage, uh, for example, for physics teachers. Um, and all districts are competing for a very small number of physics teachers. And that could be a legitimate non-discriminatory reason to justify a higher salary for the teacher who's in that particular category. Um, so related to this, of course, is um, a new requirement that school districts cannot even ask applicants about their prior salary history. So that question is off the table in the hiring process. So Rebecca, let me bring you into this conversation. We have um, you know, this major US Supreme Court decision. We have the prior taxman case. We have the Equal Pay Act and the bar on even raising um, the question about prior salary. How can school districts navigate um, through all of these legal requirements and still look to promote diversity in hiring? It's called procedures, and it's called being consistent in hiring protocols. So our department should sit down and airtight from start to finish from the time the position is available, whether it be from retirement, resignation, how is how is it posted? How is the pre-screening? Who is on the committee? What are the questions? Does every single candidate get asked the identical questions with the identical committee? So if Dave, you could sit on the committee on Monday and then I bring in Mike on Tuesday, Mike might not think the same way you do and that can affect the decisioning of, they both may be right ways to think, but you have to be consistent. You have to post it. You have to offer everybody the same type of interview. Going back a couple of years when we had COVID, and even now, you can't say to somebody, okay, I'm going to interview you on Zoom, but the next candidate's coming in to meet the committee in person. There are differences in those ways of interviewing that will greatly affect the outcome. Or, oh, I'm sorry, you have a bad tech connection on the Zoom, just call me on the phone and we'll talk and ask you the questions. Well, obviously a phone conversation, even with FaceTime may not be equal to a Zoom or an in-person. And when you mix them all together and try to choose which candidate will be the best for the job, it's going to be very hard to be fair and equal to all those candidates. Every single item has to be documented. These are the questions we ask. These are the committee members. This is the scores people got. Knowing going in what a district is looking for. We're looking for a teacher in this grade or to teach this subject. We know that we want diversity. We know that we want the best candidate. All of these things that we just mentioned will help ensure that the process do doesn't overcome people's opinion. Oh, I like Joe better. He just was so much nicer. Or Cindy came in beautifully dressed and very professional. I think we should go with her. We can't have hiring anymore by comments. Hiring has to be an airtight procedure. And that will make sure that the district's name is not on a, a lawsuit that everybody's talking about two years down the road. Yeah, you raised some great points and consistency is critical. Um, 
if we think about the dangers that could arise in an interview setting, uh, if we allow the interviewers to ask completely different questions of one candidate versus another, um, that can certainly lead to claims that um, perhaps implicit biases are coming into the interview process or even explicit biases um, and uh, discrimination is coming into the process. So it's so important uh, that everyone on that interview committee understand their role, understand the questions and, and follow that same format. Also the time, everybody gets the same time. A lot of times at the end of an interview, uh, a committee will say to the candidate, anything else that you wanna tell us, but they don't put a time on it. And all of a sudden the candidate is now interviewing the committee. Oh, tell me about your scores or tell me this but you, they're getting more eye time. They're getting more time in front of the committee to talk. That's unfair. Inappropriate questions are probably some of the um, biggest concerns we get from districts. There are certain questions you just can't answer. Oh, you are, you're young, you're planning on having kids or whose health plan are you on? Do you have a partner? Those are inappropriate questions that have nothing to do with the job or the interview. And if the person doesn't get it, you just gave them an open check to a lawsuit and a nuisance claim. Well, they asked me this, they asked me that. So the question, the, the question will not be, did I do something wrong? It will be how many zeros are we adding to the check as we settle this nuisance claim? It's a great point. Um, so, you know, consistency, everybody being on the same page, being prepared in advance, using the same scoring rubric. Um, understanding how to score um, candidates and the weight that's being given to different aspects of the interview. Those are all critical. Um, of course, as we think about hiring and diversity, um, we can't directly factor in, as we know, um, an individual's race or ethnicity um, or gender into the hiring decision. However, there are other um, things that we can do that are perfectly um, appropriate and legally defensible. So for example, if we had a staff member who was able to speak multiple languages, and those languages are spoken by students and parents and guardians in the district, that can be incredibly valuable. Can you, can you talk about that as an asset that a candidate could bring to the table? I think that when we see traits and people that greatly enhance the position. Those are very valid reasons. And you just mentioned one. Perhaps we have a class with a lot of students who are still learning English. A bilingual aid in that room may be perfect. It's just what we, we need. On the other hand, hiring an aide and just putting them in there because yes, they were a good aide, but cannot speak the language is not doing anybody any good. And so there is, there are logical reasons why you would do things. And as long as the committee agrees to that logic beforehand, not after we meet everybody and we start pulling out certain things we like, but beforehand, we say, these are the things we must see that are beyond the questions. Sure, we need good answers, but is it something that requires a trait or a gift that a person brings to it. And that certainly would be something that you could score on to make sure that the scores reflect that that's something you're looking for. You can put it in a posting 
and you can write down, well, this is a bilingual class, so bilingual language, uh, speaking language is preferred, okay? But the idea that really ruins that concept is when people do it off the cuff. Oh, by the way, at the end of the interview, Cindy happened to speak this language and she knows about this culture, so we should just hire her. Well, did we look at all the candidates through that lens? If we did not, then already we're biased and already we have done something that's not considered good hiring practices. You always want to keep everything so that when somebody says to you, I didn't get the job because blank, and you can fill in the blank with a lot of things, you can say, oh, no, 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 you didn't get the job because we did this, 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 this. And when we did the scoring, guess what? You came in number five. That's why you didn't get the job. And I have all the documentation. There's no lawsuit here. It was a fair interview. And if you can stand on that and be pristine and have your procedures, then you will be just fine. And at the same time, be able to really legitimately bring the people in that you need without being biased. That's a great point. Um, so if we really do think, for example, uh, that cultural competency is an important ingredient in a candidate that we're looking for, um, and there's there's good reasons that we want to um, prioritize that in the hiring process, we really should be making that decision before the first interview, and we should be um, building those questions in in a thoughtful way so that every candidate has the same opportunity to demonstrate that cultural competency. Absolutely. And that's very key to everything we're doing in the hiring procedures, making sure that at the same time, we're not only hiring the best people to put in front of that classroom and those group of students, but we're hiring people that meet the needs of the students. And you mentioned it, students need to see people that look like them so they know that they also can grow up and be that person. And students need to see people who understand them and understand, for instance, why they're acting a certain way. Maybe it's part of a cultural um, attribute that they have. So we have to make sure that everybody in that room is competent, not only in the curriculum, but also in the awareness of the students that are in that room and what they bring to that room. And they're all positive, wonderful things. We wanna make sure we celebrate them and connect with them. Now, of course, um, when we're thinking about hiring a, a new staff member, let's face it, oftentimes the newly hired staff members also asked to take on other responsibilities, being a club advisor, being a coach. Um, so there's, uh, it's certainly appropriate to consider the experience that a candidate might bring to the table in a prior district, having been a club advisor, having been a coach, um, and their ability to demonstrate that they could build a rapport with students in different areas. Um, so that might be an important way to uh, assess whether that staff member can build strong connections with students. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that is the most important thing we do. I believe that whether you're in HR, whether you're in any realm of the school district, your job is to have the best people in front of the students. They come, they come to school, they need to be able to do what we're asking them to do. And putting the best people in front of them is the key job that all of us do. Students first, always. 
and then all the other things fall into place. Now, of course, as we're thinking about um, hiring, we'd be remiss not to acknowledge that schools are facing some uh, significant challenges in simply finding qualified individuals to fill positions. Um, so can you talk about some of the strategies that school districts should be thinking about to increase the number of qualified applicants that they're getting and increase the diversity of the applicant pool um, so they have a greater set of choices? Absolutely. Things have changed greatly in the last number of years. Years ago, everybody just looked at salary. Salary, salary, salary. And there were places that could not match other district salaries, and they lost out on either good candidates or even a nice pool to choose from. So some of the strategies, in addition to the equity features we just mentioned about giving fair interviews, of making sure that you let people know when they didn't get the job, even if it's a note, a simple email saying, sorry, just give them closure. Sometimes people call up constantly weeks later. I didn't hear from anybody and I didn't take another job because I thought I was getting this job. But we have to be creative now and creativity comes in the following ways. You need to be reaching out to the college organizations for their clubs, reach out to the supervisors and chair people of departments. I'm going to need math teachers the end of the year. Keep your eye on your math class. Here's my information tell them to watch our website, plug your district. But it's not just money that you're plugging. It's not just everything that you're saying, oh, well, we have a great health plan and we have a good salary guide. Well, you and about 500 other districts might have that. What is different? Well, we do tuition reimbursement. Okay, that's a start. We have added value. We do PD, but our PD is we go to the art museums to learn about art. We go to different places. It might cost the district a bus. And if you have your own bus, it's nothing more than a bus driver. But all of a sudden, it's a way of communicating with colleagues and getting out and not sitting in a room to do PD. It's creative. Organization, CJ Pride is phenomenal. It's in the state of New Jersey, and it's people who are looking to continue to have diversity in our hiring. There are job fairs and there are wonderful, wonderful meetings where we talk about topics that are exactly like this relative to what we do to bring the best people into the classrooms. While we're talking about job fairs, do your own. I could do a job fair. Remember, name that tune. I can do a job fair in literally 15 minutes. I get a flyer. I put down a location. I put down a time. I put down who I'm looking for. I'm looking for a chemistry teacher. I'm looking for substitute teachers. I put in my decision makers in a gym, in a room, in a building from three to five, two to four, never on a weekend. People are very, very protective of their time both your staff and the people you are looking for, and do a job fair. Meet a decision maker. We're not going to paper screen. We're not going to go through all that. Walk in the door and sit down with one of our decision makers and see if, if you would like to be here with us. See what we're offering. Always do your own. You can whip up something like that literally in, a cup, in an hour. Put it on your website. Get it out. In addition to that, the added value 
is always opportunities that your district will offer that may be different from other districts. We have authors in, we have mental, um, good mental health days, things that appeal to staff members and colleagues. Remember, it's now more important, according to Education Week surveys, it is now more important for us to be happy at work and like what we're doing, and if not more equally important to the money we're making. I've had people who have left jobs to go to work closer to home. They don't want to commute. They want to be near their families. They want to be safe, and they want to know their kids are safe and be near them. They've taken cuts because that's what they want. I've had people who come to us, and the reason they've come to a district to work is because of the way they do certain things. For instance, we have a creative way of evaluating somebody. We have ways where we offer them alternate ways to a regular standard observation, where they have projects and they get observed on how they do the project and, and what they do. Those are things that have reached into people's psyches and said, you know what, I'm tired of this. I want to go someplace like that. I want to go, and most importantly, where I'm appreciated, where the work I'm doing is valued. And so I have a program that we are working on called Leading by Listening. And we have meetings with people. And we sit down and say, tell us what you think we can do better. We want to try to do better within the realms of everything we need to do. Speak to us. Show gratitude. There is nothing like an administrator walking in to somebody's class and saying, you know, I heard people laughing in here. I had to pop in. Thank you for what you're doing. That's what's resonating with people today. And that's where schools have to catch up and meld that in with their standard procedures of recruiting and retaining. This falls under retaining. Okay, I have the best person. What am I going to do now? You're going to make sure they're happy. An email. Oh, everything okay? Is there anything you need? Did you get your supplies? Did you get this? Goes a long way. You know, you make such great points. Um, we spend so much time talking about hiring challenges, but those challenges are made much greater if we're losing staff after one or two or three years. And if you look at some of the data um, across the state and nation, there is a significant loss of staff in those first few years. Um, so it is very important for us to prioritize that support once we have a new hire. It's very, very, very important. Um, you work so hard and statistics show that even in the course of a year, you're spending tens of thousands of dollars to train somebody, to acclimate them, to get them used to everything in your district, and then you lose them. And in 60 days, they're gone. Some of them leave the profession, but some of them go to other districts for other reasons than we mentioned. You have to make sure that they are getting what they need to do the job you're asking them and that they feel appreciated over and over the off the chart numbers of how, how far that goes. Thank you for doing this. It can be a note. It can be a pop-in. It can be, I met somebody and they told me how great this project you did was. But I think that we have to start investing in people's needs, not just in their professional development needs, 
but in their needs as employees to be reassured that they are needed, they're wanted, they're appreciated, and we're going to get them whatever they need to do their job correctly. And I think that having that workforce resonates 100% with the kids, because if you are comfortable in your job and you are satisfied and you are getting everything and you're not disgruntled, the kids know that, they sense that, and we create a better learning environment for them. So while investing in our staff, we're really investing in our kids. And as we think about uh, these issues, documentation is critical. I know it's sort of implicit in our whole conversation, but uh, Rebecca, can you talk about that? And, you know, for example, you're hiring two teachers and um, you're putting one at step five. Um, and there is a legitimate reason because you couldn't find a teacher who was dual certified in special education um, and in physics. Um, so documenting that at the time of hiring is critical so that we're not scrambling later on if there are claims that are raised that we weren't fair in our hiring process. Absolutely. The old adage that we all live by is if it's not in writing, it didn't happen. Okay. And not only did, didn't happen, but you have no proof of how it happened. And five years later, people come back and say, I should be on step five. Why am I on step two? You have to put down which contract you use. You have to put down how many years experience you gave them and why. You have to put down if you gave, put them up higher. For instance, the example you just gave, where you would turn around and say, well, I could not find a chemistry teacher. We had three rounds of postings. There's nobody in school opens in three weeks. For one extra step, the employee said they would take the job. And you have that down on their hiring papers and signed by you and who told you to do it, who okayed it, who approved it. None of us have the power that we would like to have. So you want to make sure that when you write something like that down, you say, I'm hiring them. Uh, superintendent was informed on this day. HR was informed on why we did it. I've got it on all my papers. That way you are airtight. And when somebody comes back saying, no, 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 I gave you the right step. I can look at that person. There was a need for chemistry and we were opening school and there was nobody. Or if a person turns you down, that documentation is just as important. At the end of a hiring cycle, which the bulk of it is in the summer, obviously, you can say, we lost five teachers in physics because of our salary guide. Maybe we should either increase the salary guide when we negotiate with the union, or maybe we should have a stipend for different areas. There's a lot of ways you could be, you know, look at it and really create something that's fair. But you've got to look at people who leave you too. Exit interviews, why did they leave? If you're going to retain people, know why people left so you don't make the same mistakes over and over. If somebody left because they don't have supplies, you know that you have a bump in your supply chain and you better make sure that our teachers are getting them. The teachers are getting what they need. So, Rebecca, of course, our conversation today really is the tip of the iceberg. Um, all of the issues that we're talking about, uh, we have done in-depth training on those topics, for example, through uh, Legal One's Human Resources Directors Institute. Um, but I do want to thank you for sharing your wisdom today. Um, any final thoughts on the importance of 
uh, connecting with individuals and valuing um, our employees as people as well as as employees. I think the key takeaway in this is that while money is certainly important, I would never minimize that, that the added value of enjoying where you work, getting what you need to do the job that you're asked to do, being appreciated and being listened to, and knowing that your uh, experience in the classroom is affecting the policies and what's going on, those are coming up in a real close second to money. And in some cases, according to Ed Week, they are really surpassing salaries as the only requirement that you need to go to a place. So I think it's important for all of us to make sure that we invest in our staff and listen to them and lead by listening to them and know and letting them know and we know that what they're doing is important to us and we value it and we're going to do whatever we can do to help them get to the results that they need and the results that we need and want. Thank you so much, Rebecca, for all of your words of wisdom and the great work that you have done with us over so many years. Um, and I do want to thank, of course, Arthur J. Gallagher, our sponsor, uh, for supporting us throughout this entire series on equity schools in the law. Thank you to our listeners as well for taking time out of your busy schedule to be with us. Be safe, be well, and we look forward to having you with us on future episodes of the Legal One podcast. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you would like more information on the topics we covered, a full list of episodes, or a preview of upcoming topics, please visit our website at www.njpsa.org legal1nj.